Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 147 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. This week, we are introducing you to a friend we actually got to meet in real life this past spring at an in-person event, and he has just an incredible story and one that I think is going to help infuse some hope when you think into the future about what could possibly happen with your kids who came to you through adoption or foster care. Now, Trent traveled a really difficult and horrific journey through the foster care system until he was adopted at the age of nine. So after healing a lot from his traumatic past, Trent, who is now 20, shares his inspiring story of triumph in order to provide hope and healing for others. He is involved in foster care reform at the national level, and he also serves as co-founder and CEO for Watch Me Rise, which is a ministry devoted to working on behalf of children who've experienced trauma like he once did. He is currently completing his undergrad degree in family and human development at Arizona State and plans to pursue a master's in clinical counseling. But probably the most delightful thing is on the day that we met him, he had literally just completed his training to become a TBRI practitioner. So we're just delighted to have Trent on our podcast today. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, hello, Trent. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thank you so much. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks. You know, one of the things we value really highly here at the Adoption Connection is really representing the voices of all parts of the triad and, you know, different experiences. You know, Melissa and I together represent the triad. She's an adoptee. I'm a birth mom and we're both adoptive moms. So it's always really special for us to get other voices here. So I'm really delighted to have you join us. Would you just start by introducing yourself? And then what I really think our listeners are going to want to hear is your story, because it's really, really remarkable. So first, just tell us about who you are, what your life is like right now. Yeah, of course. So my name is Trent Taylor. I am currently 20 years old. I am on track to get my bachelor's in family and human development. I also run a support ministry alongside my adoptive mom called Watch Me Rise. And right now, uh, that's where all my focus is going through the summer and just seeing wherever God takes us. Now, you did just accomplish something really significant, right? At At the very day I met you, you had just finished your training to become a TBRI practitioner. Yes, I did. How was that experience? It was, it was really, it was incredible, to be honest. It was, it didn't quite feel real in the moment, but it was really remarkable to see how far I've come from the person who needed TBRI to now being able to give TBRI to others. It's really just a full circle moment. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm sure that your parents are very proud of you. (laughs) So tell us how you came into this world of adoption, foster care. Why is it important to you? Of course. So at the age of four, I was taken into the foster care system due to extreme neglect, domestic violence, and sexual abuse. 
And after that, me and my siblings were removed and we, I was, I entered the foster care system that way. And I traveled through five different homes, five different schools. I remained with my older brother and my younger brother. Um, unfortunately, even though we were removed, the abuse did not stop as my older brother continued to abuse us through most of our foster homes. It wasn't up until the one before our adoptive placement that the social workers found out and finally removed him. But thankfully, I was able to remain with my younger brother the entire time. And my time through foster care, it was full of uncertainty, chaos, fear. I remember so many nights just crying myself to sleep, longing for a family and just someone to love me and keep me safe. But after that five-year journey in foster care, my younger brother and I were at a match event, and that's where we met our adoptive parents. And it is so hard to describe the feelings I had that day, but I just knew in my heart that these were these are the people who are going to adopt us. I I must have God just had something on my heart that day, and I just I just had this gut feeling. And that same day, we were given a dog tag with Jeremiah 2911 engraved on the front. And after receiving that, that's really what helped me get through, you know, the rest of my time in foster care, just knowing that he had a plan for me. You know, I was just able to cling on to that. And that's what gave me hope, you know? And so shortly after the match event, it was probably a couple months, maybe closer to a year, we got to move in with our adoptive parents. And then about a year through the courts, we were finally adopted. And, you know, being in a place where I felt loved, I felt like I could trust people for the first time. It's really what opened me up to the possibility of being able to start healing, you know, and that trust and that security did not come easy. It was several years before I felt like, you know, I could really trust, you know, my adoptive parents but the whole time, they just they walked my journey by my side. They cried with me as I mourned the loss of my childhood and my siblings. And every time, they would always point me back to the ultimate healing that was found in God. And that is really what got me through all of my past pain and my trauma. And that's why I was able to come to dramatic levels of healing. And... um you know, and so when I was roughly 10 years old, and after being adopted at the age of nine, um, I, that's when I started public speaking. That's when I started to share my story. Because, you know, working through all of, you know, my past trauma, it really opened my eyes up that my pain has a purpose, you know, and God was going to use what I had been through for his glory. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. And since then, I have been sharing my story to anyone who will listen. You know, I have done podcasts and books. And like I said, we're running a support ministry. And, you know, my goal is to be a clinical counselor and a trauma-informed consultant as well. And just really help children find the same healing that I've found in God and help them come to the same place that I have been so gratefully, you know, given and have come to. Mm, that's wonderful. Okay. So let's back up. We've got 
foster parents listening today, kinship providers, adoptive parents. So it's not that common that we get to hear from a former foster youth about that experience. So what I, you can share any part of your story you want, but what I think parents are going to want to know is what do you wish your foster parents had known? Mm-hmm. How could they have helped you and cared for you during those years? Now, you said you have five placements. So if you want to share a little bit about that, that would be great. And then just what you really want foster parents to know. For sure. You know, looking back, the one thing I wish, you know, the foster parents I had knew was how to handle a child who's experienced trauma, how to approach that type of parenting, you know, and to come at it with a sense of compassion and really just, you know, walking, you know, my journey by my side, like my adoptive parents did. You know, and, you know, when I think back to the different placements, I don't think any of them had any idea how trauma affects the brain and how that affects behaviors as well. You know, and I had some some pretty, you know, rough placements, you know, which isn't always uncommon. But, yeah, so the biggest thing, compassion, patience trauma-informed knowledge, just knowing how to parent differently and approach that differently. And really just, you know, helping me feel like I'm not alone Mm -hmm. and that, you know, I've got someone to be there by my side. Mm -hmm. Do you, you were fairly young when you went into care. Do you remember each of the five families? Were you with some of them super short, some longer. What do you remember about just being moved around? Yeah, so I definitely remember most of my placements pretty well. I know my first one was kinship, and that was with my uh, paternal grandparents at the time. Um, I believe that lasted probably under a year, and then we were moved to a regular foster placement. And it's hard to tell exactly how long I was in most of these placements, probably six months to a year, roughly, you know, and then it was kinship again, and then foster, and then it was our adoptive placement. Like I said, during those times, the abuse didn't stop. You know, it was kinship, foster, kinship. And then after that one, my older brother was removed. And then that last one before our adoptive placement, that's when... Um, it was just me and my younger brother. Is there anything that a foster parent did for you that was helpful? This episode is sponsored by Faith, Hope, and Connection, a 30-day devotional for adoptive and foster parents. So if you are a foster or adoptive parent feeling like you need some more hope for this really complex journey, or you're feeling really discouraged or misunderstood, you're going to want to jump into this book that has real, often raw stories from adoptive and foster parents in the trenches. It has scripture and faith-filled hope pointing you to Jesus and really honest reflections to speak courage to your soul and remind you that you are in fact not alone. This devotional has contributions from 30 authors, all foster and adoptive parents, who offer a window into their own lives and families. You're going to recognize yourself time and time again in their words. 
Faith, Hope, and Connection, a 30-day devotional for adoptive and foster parents, is truly a treasure trove of wisdom and grace for foster and adoptive families. You can grab your copy from Amazon. It comes in paperback or Kindle version. Search for Faith, Hope, and Connection, or head to the show notes for this episode for a quick link. Is there anything that a foster parent did for you that was helpful? You know, I did have some foster parents who would occasionally, you know, help me with school and things like that because I did have a lot of, you know, academic holes from moving so many times. And did the, did anybody do something that helped you feel um, safe? Well, I do remember I had one foster placement where the uh, foster dad was a state trooper. So him being, you know, knowing that, that did provide some safety, but also in that same placement, the biological daughter did not care for us being there too much. So she kind of took out her frustrations on us. Uh, Really, the only placement I really felt safe was my foster to adoptive placement. Uh, A lot of, you know, most of my foster placements were filled with you know, just continued abuse and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I never quite felt safe anywhere because I was always afraid that I'd have to move. So I never really allowed my, I just couldn't, you know, let myself feel safe or mm-hmm. get too comfortable. So we know that when children are living in that state of fear and that state of stress, that um, they're not going to come and tell us, gee, I feel really afraid. We're going to, they're going to tell us, but they're not probably going to use words. So did you have any behaviors that were challenging for your foster parents or were you just amazingly calm and easy? No, I I I most certainly had some behavior challenges, you know, because with everything that I had been through, I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of different emotions and I didn't know how to express them appropriately. And I never really had anybody sit down and help me learn how to do that because I guess they just assumed that when you're six and eight years old you just know how to but yeah so I'm just thinking like back to some behaviors that I had a lot of anger outbursts uh some moments where I would uh freeze my body would just shut down on me and I just couldn't comply which then looked like defiance which then would end up in me getting in trouble and, you know, so that was okay. also an issue. That is really important. Let's tell me about that. Go through that cycle again. Mm-hmm. So you would have all this, ang- you'd have all this fear mm-hmm. that looked like anger. Yep. And then what happened? And then, you know, over time, I, it, depending on the situation, my body would just shut down on me and I would freeze. And I remember so vividly wanting to comply and wanting to do what was asked of me, but my body literally could not physically be moved at the time. Okay. That is so important to hear that you can give words to that because, you know, as a parent, our children are sometimes it's taking so much mental space trying to figure out why is my child doing this? And what do I do in response? You know, the parent's brain is always trying to process. And when I think of you as a little guy, in this freeze mode, but the parent is saying, I want you to do this. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I won't do it. It was, I can't. 
exactly. And did anybody understand that? My adoptive parents did actually. You know, I remember my mom telling me that when she first got us, that she went out to like the Barnes and Noble and got everything she could on trauma and things like that. And my dad, who, you know, also had a rough upbringing, he was honestly the one who was able to help bring me out of that state of freeze and that state of shut down. And all he did, he didn't say a single word, but all he did was he simply came up to me and just gave me a gentle hug and just held me. And then my, I literally remember I felt my body just, you know, just coming, you know, all attention, just loosening, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what, that was what brought me out of that state of freeze, you know, and then I was able to, you know, start talking about things as my brain came back online. Well, I, I love that you mentioned that hug because what we know is that a calm, regulated parent can help a child come into regulation. We can co-regulate together, you know? I was just hugging one of my kids not long ago who was dysregulated and I said, okay, let's just hug each other and feel each other's heartbeats for a minute, you know? And I actually said, we can co-regulate together, (laughs) you know? Um, But your dad's instincts to do that were really good because that hug helped you, like you said, calm and bring your brain back online. Because when a child is dysregulated, like you were, you know, they're functioning in the lower part of their brain, which is not that thinking brain. It's not the brain that can think, oh, my mom's asking me to do this. And I really do want to do it because I want to make her happy. And, you know, you can't think that way when you're in that lower dysregulated part of your brain where the fear is. So, okay, I love that. Um <clears throat> Tell us more about what your, what your parents did right. When I had a chance to meet you, I interviewed you on a, a panel at a conference. And I just remember listening. Of course, your mom was in the audience. Your mom, I think your dad was there too, yes? Well, for sure, your mom. <clears throat> and um, I just remember you spoke about so many ways that your parents helped you heal and be safe. So tell us more. Yeah, of course. So the biggest thing that my adoptive mom did for me was she almost every day she would let me know how much she loved me and remind me that no matter what I do no matter what happens that she will never love me any less she will never think of me less and that she would never judge me and that I was safe and just hearing that continuously you know over time it started to click with like wow what she's saying is really true so that's on top of just being able to just talk. Because I remember, you know, when I first disclosed my sexual abuse, I would, you know, say something as memory would come to my mind. And she would just, she didn't, you know, act shocked. She didn't freak out. She just very calmly talked to me about it and we worked through it. And another big thing is that she walked my journey by my side. You know, both my parents did. They, they came alongside me. And, you know, and they really were basically detectives trying to figure out what my triggers were, what I needed to feel, what I needed, what I needed to feel safe, you know, just whether it made sense to them or not, they did it, they did whatever it took, you know, and just seeing that they cared so much for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, you know, they're, they're real, they really have my, my back and they're not going to let me go or anything bad happened to me. So, you know, and 
just you know that open communication that we had and that trust that we had built over time that was that was really what that was some of the biggest things that they did that I, I think you know were just spot on you know just a judgment-free zone compassion allowing me to feel whatever I felt regardless of what they thought did it whatever I felt they acknowledged it and they helped me work through it so they really just came alongside me and really just worked through this with me did they have other children before you and your brother joined the family so they were foster parents for several years before they had us but no we were their first adoptive and any children actually so okay okay so it sounds like they devoted a lot of time and energy to you too yeah yeah like that you became they i mean they poured themselves into you mm-hmm. which is really really beautiful what kind of practical things did they do that helped you maybe related to food or feeling safe at night or you know supporting you and advocating for you in school those kinds of things yeah of course so my mom was actually a a special ed teacher so she knew how all of those things worked with school so for school you know she went into those meetings that were you know for me and went there and advocated on my behalf because I did have some academic holes and you know she got me some tutoring and she got me some special things that I needed for school to help catch me back up you know and you know for food issues she would you know always like every time she got groceries she would look she would open the fridge and say you know there's always food here you know and sometimes she would put you know some snacks in a little bin for us and would let us know that only you like you're the only ones who will have this that way we knew that if we ever hungry we'd always have you know our little snack bin and you know also she worked a lot with me you know at home and on homework and you know talking through how to express my emotions appropriately you know and she also did the same for my younger brother my younger brother he had a lot of pre-verbal trauma so he doesn't quite remember a whole lot which has been very difficult for him but I remember she would like she stayed up for hours one night creating basically this book that describes you know different emotions that this is what this emotion feels like this is how we can work through it together this is what you know some practical ways to you know, what to do when you feel these ways and just the amount of time she invested in different things and would pack us, you know, just inspirational notes in our lunches to know that we were loved and just the amount of time she poured into us and the time she took to make sure that we knew we were loved and that we were safe, you know, and she would also, even though it kind of, you know, irritated them a little bit, they would let us lock the doors on our way um, in and out of the house. And sometimes we accidentally locked ourselves out. So they had to hide keys in the yard in case that happened because we were so fearful of losing what we had and, you know, being taken away. But they never once got frustrated with us. They never scolded us for it. They just, you know, did what they needed to do and just whatever we needed to feel safe, they did. Mm-hmm. So food issues, you know, are super, super common with children who've had so much food insecurity and um, in their early lives, even though your mom put out a bin for you, did you ever still feel like you needed to keep food in your pockets or did you ever hide it in your room or anything like that? So for me personally, I did not. My younger brother did, but I did not. I don't really know why, 
but I didn't, you know, I mean, I did worry that, you know, food wouldn't always be there because that, ha that had happened to me before. But I never quite really hoarded food or kept it in my pockets. Mostly I would probably, I probably just overate a lot of the time. Just mm -hmm. ate until I was like really, really full and couldn't eat anymore. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so for me personally, I, I didn't deal with that particular thing. So that overeating was also rooted in fear, that mm -hmm. fear that food would not be there tomorrow. Or um, did that resolve on its own? Or was yes, that something it, you had to work on? No, it, well, it was kind of a mix of both. So over so over time, we kind of worked on it. And I feel like as, you know, some of my walls were coming down and I was starting to trust and feel safe, some of those feelings of needing to eat as much as I can because I might not have it again, it kind of just went away as the safety and the trust, you know, rose, those kind of just went by the wayside and eventually just went completely away. Mm, that's great. What about feeling safe at night? What practical things did your parents do for you? Cause you know, of course, especially children who experienced abuse, sexual abuse, physical, any kind of abuse, nighttime can be really scary. Yeah, it can. And it was for me, you know, and so what they did was, you know, they would come to my room, they would, you know, read me a book before bedtime and they would, they put a little nightlight in my room, you know, because at the time I was afraid of the dark and they would always ask me, do you want the door shut or do you want it cracked? How much do you want it open? Do you mm -hmm. want it? Not? You know, so, so they basically, they gave me a voice and they gave me choice, you know, during our nighttime schedule and just to, you know, reassure me that if you need something, we will meet that need and your voice matters. Mm, that's really good. One of my um, kids slept inside a little tent on top of the bed for a long time, just because nighttime felt too scary, you know, like the, even the room just felt too open, you know, and so being in a small enclosed space just gave a sense of safety. And yeah, I think a little creativity can go a long way, but you're right. The most important thing is to really let the child have a voice. And, you know, I think sometimes as parents, it can be a little frustrating. Like, well, last night you wanted the door shut. Now today you're upset because I'm shutting the door and you want something different. But we just have to be so flexible. I think flexibility is one of the most important characteristics that adoptive and foster parents have to have. Because if we're too rigid, we that just tears down connection. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So. What else would you want our listeners to know to help us all be the best foster and adoptive parents we can be? Yeah, for sure. I definitely think, you know, as we've talked about before, giving the child voice is so key because, you know, like you said, sometimes they might want the door shut. Sometimes they might want it open and the parents kind of are confused as to why. But here's the thing, you know, that that night that they wanted it closed, they may have had a memory surface that they could not verbalize, you know, and then maybe the memory kind of went by the wayside. So they were okay with the door being open, you know, so that's another one of those things you got to just really just, like I said before, be a detective and really learn what your child needs and just just straight up ask them, you know, what do you need? What do you need to feel safe? And if they are not certain you know, give them a couple of choices, you know, do you want it open? Do you want it closed? And just, you know, even if it doesn't make sense to you, it makes sense to the child 
And that's all you need to know. And if it makes the child feel safe, then just then do it. You know, mm-hmm. if it's not something that's going to, if it's not a big deal and it's not going to impede, you know, your ability to function, just let it happen because that's what it builds attachment, trust, and a sense of safety. And it lets them know for the first time in their life that my voice matters and that I will be safe and that there are people who truly care about me and what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your faith has been a big part of your healing journey as well. Do you want to mm-hmm. share a little bit about that? Of course. So thankfully, I have always been close to God my whole journey through foster care, you know, and basically my whole life because, you know, most of my foster placements were religious. And that, you know, knowing that and knowing that, you know, God had a plan for me and that, you know, because that he was the one consistent thing in my life. You know, he was the one thing I knew would never leave, never hurt me. And I was a, he was the thing that I could cling on to hope. And that's what I did throughout my whole journey through foster care. You know, I just would pray and pray that, you know, someday, someday I would have a family of my own. And you know what? My prayers were answered at the age of nine when my younger brother and I were adopted. And, you know, like I said before, once I had that dog tag with that verse, that really, you know, really reassured me that, you know, God does have a plan for me and that, you know, God can take things that have been broken and damaged and turn them into something so beautiful, you know, and we are all made new in Christ. You know, we are all made perfectly in his image. And honestly, I would not have been able to heal. I would not be where I am today if he, you know, if without him, you know, he is what's gotten me this far in my life he has helped me overcome so much you know and lately you know and even you know years before you know i at a young age i would just you know, just you know call out and say god whatever your will is for my life whatever you want me to do i will do it my yes is on the table help make it clear and i will obey to the best of my ability because you have gotten me this far and all i want to do is glorify you and share, you know, my story to give you glory because this is his story. It's not mine. You know, I'm just along for the ride that he has allowed me to be on. Mm, that's wonderful. Well, I thank you so much. Do you want to uh, tell us just a little bit more about your organization? Of course. So, Watch Me Rise is a support ministry, and what we do is we have support groups. You know, lately they've been virtual because of the pandemic, but we're working towards going back in person. And we also offer specialized trainings uh, from food issues to sexual abuse to TBRI trainings and a bunch of other things. We have a podcast called Watch Me Rise Podcast. I public speak. We have a couple of books that we sell. And basically, we just try to create a sense of community and give foster and adoptive parents, all the support that we know is needed and try to support them in every way we can. So is your is your organization more focused on serving the parents or serving the youth or all of that? Both. Okay. Actually, yeah, because we also, so while the parents are meeting, we also have, you know, basically a small support group for the children as well. So when the parents come, they can just relax because we have volunteers to come help with the children and to make sure and check with them. So, 
and work with the children as well on certain topics that are age appropriate for them to help them, you know, kind of realize why they do some of the things they do and help them better understand it. So, mm. so you're doing that locally and you're in Raleigh. Okay. And has that been replicated yet in other areas? Not that I know of. I mean, there okay. are other, you know, support groups done by, you know, DSS agencies, but um, I don't know of any other local organizations that are doing what we do. Okay. Okay. But your podcast reaches everybody. Yes. So people can find you. Well, mm -hmm. we will have links to everything that you've talked about in the show notes so that uh, those of you who are listening, if you are driving your car or washing your dishes, you don't have to remember all of this. We will have it all there for you in the show notes. And Trent, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been a true honor. And honestly, I love every opportunity I can to share my story because it gives hope and it provides hope and it shows people what God can do if you put your yes on the table and let him take over. You know, and I just, I just love this opportunity because it gives me one more opportunity to glorify Him and to give back. So thank you for letting me be here today. Oh well, our pleasure. Well, Lisa, I am so glad we invited Trent to be on the podcast. As we say so often here, that we really value stories from lived experience. And specifically when Trent talked about that feeling of being frozen and he said, I, I wanted to comply, but my body was just frozen. You know, his body was having kind of a subconscious response to something that had triggered him from something from his past. And I just think it's so compelling to, to hear stories of kids who remember what it's like to be a ch child from early adversity and can give us, can voice that inner experience. Um, I remember as a child just being so out of my mind around silly things like chores even and having these big rages and but there was still this little tiny part of me who just wanted someone to give me a hug. And of course, I was shut up in my room to, you know, figure it out until I could, you know, be normal and respectful and come down and all of those things. And there were no tools really to help parents understand that. But, but I do, I remember those experiences of kind of feeling misunderstood in my behavior. So I really appreciate Trent's voice and hearing him share his experience. I think it just helps grow our compassion as parents as we parent kids with challenging behaviors. Yeah, I really enjoyed visiting with Trent. It was great talking with him in person and great doing this interview as well. You know, he has a lot to offer to our community. So for those of you who are interested in learning more about Trent, you can find him on his website, which is watchmerise919.org. He's also the author of two books, Shattered No More and Battling the Invisible Enemy. So you can find information about those as well. And I think he mentioned in the interview that he and his mom do a podcast called Watch Me Rise. So there are lots of places to engage with Trent. You can find all of this information, of course, in today's show notes, which you'll find at theadoptionconnection.com slash 147. 
Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Instagram as The Adoption Connection, or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.